Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Welcome back to Wild Black. Appreciate all our listeners. Appreciate y'all coming and checking us out once again. Um, one thing before we get started, man, I love our intro. Our intro is super dope. It is dope. It's isn't it? super dope. Uh, so before you we, can't help but move your head when you hear it. You you got to the the baseline. We got an amazing audio engineer too, though. So that's that's what happens. True. When we, Real quick, I want to give a shout out to Fruit Loops Podcast too because they are the only podcast with an intro. Even close to as dope to as ours is. Yep. Yeah. By the way, Fruit Loops is a too. podcast that goes deep on serial killers of color. So <laughs> we we are literally in every industry, murdering motherfuckers and everything. Right. <laughs> but their intro is dope as hell. The intro is pretty dope. Yep. 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 Well, you know, uh, you got art back with you in the game. Vince is here, although I sound a little different. I'm hoarse as hell. This podcast was recorded at drsstudiosatl.com. I definitely want us to talk about, you know, um, our business and and y'all coming in and checking us out. We definitely appreciate y'all coming. If you don't know about the podcast, it's your first time listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the podcast, Wild Black. What we like to do is we like to tell stories about black folks in industry or in any area by choice or by force who have to act in a nuanced way in the way they work, you know, how you get pulled over by the police, you know, how you have a company and stories. What we do is we try to bring stories and experts to talk about, you know, how we survive and how we we help to remind people that you're not in this alone. This is this is a, a, a us struggle. So while Black is really designed to help tell those stories um, and give us some success tactics and some ways that we can actually inspire us to be better and continue to grow as people. Um, so we want to welcome you and thank you. Uh, we got a super dope episode for you today. Um, let me turn it over to my man, Barry White, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> I'm here. Man, with, with, with the topic today, I got one question for you, Art. Man, how's your Tootsie Roll game? <laughs> I'm saying, Can you, how is your Tootsie Roll game? How are you with the electric slide? Hey, you know what? Uh... My wife can dance, man. She, 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 she with it. My Tootsie Roll game is horrible. Uh, my electric slide game is, is decent. You know, <laughs> you can get your black card revoked if if your electric slide game ain't right. Amen. You gotta, you Amen. gotta be able to 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 do that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let a secret out. <laughs> now, one time in my entire life, have I wobbled electric slide? <laughs> what? Are you serious? Electric slid slide. What's the other joint? The the Cupid Shuffle. Not one what? time. Now, here's the thing. It's not that I can't. I enjoy sitting back and laughing at the people who can't find the rhythm. Hell no. Who nah. go left uh-uh. when they're supposed no, to go right. No, not, no, 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 no. Not a no. family reunion. Not any not club. Wedding. And I'm from Mississippi, so it happens at every club every night. Not one club. Not a wedding. Not never. So check this out. That's a real I thing. I know. I know if you ain't did it, you don't know how to do it. <laughs> if you ain't did it one time, you, oh, I got you don't it. know how to do electric slide. I got hell they tell you how to do it. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Instructions in the damn song. <laughs> Ooh, I can't believe you never did that though. No. 
So what have you, what uh, dance have you 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 done? Oh man, we used to have choreographed dances when I was 1993, 1994. All of them, the wind, I don't remember the name of the joints no more. It was four or five of us. I used to bust a slide, how your brother above you with the hand picking you up by the head. All that stuff, splits, all that. Cabbage patch, all at me. You in there? All day. Man, I, I will murder somebody with the Cabbage Patch <laughs> to okay. this day. Don't, okay. Don't fuck okay. around getting to a Cabbage Patch battle with me. Uh-oh. See, see. Running, man. See. All right, we're going we're gonna to have to test this but out. But those dances are really important, too. Like, you know, because those are considered social dances. And those True. are the dances that I grew up on, too, so. That's what's up. So even That's if he doesn't up. do the wobble, which you, you got your black card. <laughs> you know, it, Is it, I'm in a risky spot. wobble or, like, you know, the let you slide. At least Come on. Let Come on. Slide. That's... <laughs> That's like culturally in, in, ingrained, but, you know. Well, black listeners, I apologize. <laughs> uh, looks like I may have to resign my post <laughs> as co-host on this particular show. No, nah, we'll, we'll get it back. We're going we gonna to make sure okay. you can let you slide before before we close out the session. So, so <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's all good. Thanks. All right, well, listeners, check this out. So make sure you follow us on all our social media outlets. Make sure you email us and keep that dialogue open. Um, we read, we listen, we repost. We are all over social media, and we really love and appreciate y'all feedback. Um, And with that, we're going to kick it. We're going to get started and and jump into this great topic that we got that y'all probably have already figured out what we're talking about today. They should have. They they, they heard us talk about it. They heard our guest already. Right, right. So the topic today, just to make it formal and official, is we are talking dancing while black. But... Unlike us, our guest isn't simply doing the cabbage patch. He is not just doing the running man. He dances for real, trained on television, on stage. People pay to see him dance. People pay to see the dances that he has choreographed. Uh, I guess he is a lot like me then, right? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I want to welcome to Wild Black, Jewel Lane. And before I turn the mic over to him, I want to tell you just a little bit more about him. He's an American dancer, choreographer, filmmaker, and one of Dance Magazine's 25 to Watch. Most recently, he won Celebration of Dance, Choreographer of the Year, and Best Choreography for the live performance in Ailey 2's Touch and Agree. He was a featured dancer in NBC's Emmy Award-winning Jesus Christ Superstar, live in concert, starring John Legend. And if you want to see him in action... He's currently dancing with the Bessie Award-winning Camille A. Brown and Dancers. Or you can catch some of his work like Just Another Day, mm-hmm. How to Kill a Ghost, When the Beat Drops, and The Maestro on his website, jeweldlane.com, J-U-E-L-D-L-A-N-E dot so Very getting them. you heard him, <laughs> Joel, brother. Welcome to the show, man. Oh man, thank y'all for having me. Absolutely. If you don't mind, tell the people a little bit more, a little bit more about you. And I mentioned Ailey too. Also, tell them what that is a little. Yeah. yeah. Bit. So, um, for the most part, I am a choreographer, and um, Ailey too is the second company of Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and so that's it's kind of like a pre-professional, but. To me, it's still considered professional. And so I was really blessed to have the opportunity to choreograph on them. But yeah, that's what I do. I'm a choreographer. I'm a filmmaker. All those great things that you said. Um, right. You know, I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, still growing within the profession and everything right. too. So, 
Well, brother, we could not be more excited to have you here. This is a topic that I have been dying to talk about. Yeah. I am a fan of the arts in general. Uh, I love dance. I always have. Uh, some pe people may not know that about me, but I'll, I'll sneak off to the ballet when I get a chance to. Mm -hmm. Even things like So You Think You Could Dance. I, I watched probably the first, I don't know, eight or nine seasons. Me oh, wow. My son will watch it. My daughter's always been involved. So dance is something I love. So we'll get into this. But we'll let Art take you through... Um, our wild black shit. Oh, man. Okay, so sure. this, 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 oh, let's go. Let's go. This is one of our favorite sections. My voice is going out again, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out. So our wild black shit section. We just kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, ask you a couple funny, interesting questions, and you can answer them the way you want to answer them. Sure. And then our last question is our signature question. This is the one that... Everybody loves to kind of hear our guests um, okay. provide their perspective. Absolutely. So, so first question. <laughs> Did OJ do it or not? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Did OJ do it or not? You know, I watched that series on FX, you know, um, The People versus OJ Simpson, and, you know, it kind of persuaded my mind a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, we gon' we gonna say yeah, OJ did that. <laughs> I wanna here's my answer. Had you asked me 18, 19, 20 years ago, hell no, hell no. Absolutely. Didn't do absolutely. It. That's right. what I'm saying. But today, hell that nigga did yeah. it. Listen. He, easy. He easy did work. He put that word. Yeah. He, he, he did it. He did it. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. No doubt. Okay, so it's unanimous. It's sorry, unanimous. OJ. OJ, we, we hey, you have let us down. Yeah, Your sorry, black OJ. card is revoked. <laughs> you know. All the way. <laughs> yes. All right. Second question. Best all-time hood classic dance movie or scene? Oh, best all-time hood movie dance or scene. You know what? I'm going to say the scene and the house party. Oh, you <laughs> scene! Listen, you got... Tisha Campbell. Yo, that uh, I knew going nobody was going to say that. That's man, that's classic. That's I ain't classic. got nothing else to say. It's classic. You you hit it on the head, bro. That that. Hey, I did that dance. If you think of a classic dance in a black hood movie, that would be the one I think everybody Every would, would think about because they incorporated us and in like everything that you know, like all all the dances that he liked to do when he's not people watching the electric slide. Yeah. They did all those things. And like, that was like a first integration of like dance on film and everything. You know what I'm saying? Now tell me this. Hmm. <laughs> From that scene, uh -uh. <laughs> that particular scene. Okay. He want to dig deep into that one. Yeah, yeah. From that particular scene, A.J. Johnson, Shireen. Yep. What was she wearing? She was wearing, bam, she's wearing these uh, biker tights, yellow with a red little um, petite jacket. What? Um, mm. And prior to her getting there, she had made a big thing of Kool-Aid with mm. a lot of sugar. <laughs> what? Your black card is intact. Of course. Man, it, of is, course. It, is, it is sad. You like your two up. Let's go. <laughs> Anybody wow. who loves that scene. Knows. Remembers listen, that outfit. Listen, I, 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 remember the, I, I don't remember the outfit, though. Uh-uh. I ain't remember Details. the outfit. That's why I'm like, what? Brother. If you mm. watch it more than a hundred times like I did. I need to, I need to Google that. I need to Art, Google what's that. your answer, brother? That was mine. <laughs> mine too. I get that. Yeah, I, I, those were softballs. It may have been too easy. I thought I thought somebody was going to say, 
You've been served. I was waiting to hit him with oh, no. house party. Oh, that's a good that's one. That's classic. All right. Last signature wild black question. What do you love most about life while black? Um, can't nobody do what we do. Mm. And I say that, and I say that because I was doing a show with Camille Brown and dancers. We were in North Carolina, and this woman got up, and we had a Q and A. She stood up, and she turned around towards the audience, and she said, "See, can't nobody do what we do." She just wanted to tell the audience that, and we were like, "Oh." Love that. That's real, though. That was bold. That was that's a, that's a true statement. Yes, Can't nobody so. do what we do. Can't nobody do what we do, when we do, how we do, or why we that's do right. what we do, when that's we right. do what we do, how yeah. we do it. And then where we do it, because we can do it anywhere. Okay. That's, that's, that's a hell of a statement. Yeah, and that's true. anything, though. Yeah. All right, well, you, you hit them with something that, on that. It's a unique one right there. <laughs> so we're going to move into the dope quote. Listeners already know the dope quote is typically the basis for the episode. It's a quote out of the mouth of typically someone black, but sometimes it comes from someone non-black and just has impact or reach into the black community. Mm. So today I want to read the dope quote. People don't remember me for how high my legs went, even though they went up very high, or how many pirouettes I did. They don't remember me for that. They remember me and any other dancer because something touched them inside. It's an indelible memory on the heart and in the mind, Judith Jameson. And for those who don't know, she's a ballet dancer and at one point was the artistic director for Alvin Ailey. Well, Jewel, when you hear that, what comes to mind? What do you think of? Well, first of all, she's, Judith Jameson is like legendary. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. She started off in like, you know, the ballet world and then she merged over to the contemporary world and she was Alvin Ailey's muse. He choreographed like his famous solo cry right. on her. And I got the opportunity to meet her a couple of times. And when you when you're in the presence of her, you stare and you listen right. and you just absorb everything that she's saying. But what 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 it's that particular quote is saying is is so true because I think within this genre of dance is so easy to get into like the form of like, you know, I have to make sure that I'm fierce. I have to make sure that people really see me and you can be all those things. It's just a matter of like, I think people are more interested in what you are, what you are giving and like, what is your conversation behind that high leg? Right, right, right. When I, when I listen to what you said and that it makes me think that so many times we strive for perfection Mm -hmm. and I think perfection is forgettable. Right. What is not forgettable is authenticity. It, it's it's realism. So, and whether it's in dance or in anything that you do, like being your true, authentic, real self, and putting yourself in the delivery and the vehicle that you're giving to people, is what creates that feeling of of remembrance. Right. It's it's how you made someone feel that allows them to remember the things about you. Not necessarily even what you did or what you said, but how they felt. They felt in reaction. To what you did or what you said. And then to take it a step further, I think about that quote in the context of race in this country. And so many times, black folks particularly are judged not because of what we did or even really how we made someone feel, but the misperception or the false perception that that person has about who we are and how that perception then makes them feel. 
So I, when I heard that and when I read through it earlier, I thought about it in terms of dance. I thought about it in terms of life. And I thought about it in terms of race. And what it says to me is we have some work that we can do to help people better understand who we are. Mm-hmm. We can't fix it, but we can absolutely judge ourselves, act accordingly, and do things in a manner to help people feel a certain way while we help them to understand where their perceptions may be wrong. I just think this is, this is applicable across all facets of life, and I loved it as a quote. It's not, how, it's not what you do to people. It's not even what you say to people, but it is how you make people feel. It's tying into a selfish um, instinct of how an individual emotion is triggered within you as a person, right? So no matter what art form you're looking at, no matter what you're communicating, how you make someone feel and how you're able to trigger a feeling within someone is what your art form has done for them. Yeah. It's kind of how I, I, I look at that. And it's a powerful statement because... Um, something touched them inside. So it's really not about you. It's what you sparked in them. Right. And and I think that's an important thing. Every aspect. I mean, how we communicate, how we, if it's an art form, how we, how we display that art form. Um, it's important to figure out how you draw emotional connections to people or you generate those emotional connections with people. So art has always been one of the things that, that does that very well. Um, dance, music, um, and like you said before, right? Nobody can really do it like us. That's right. And so that's probably one of the reasons why we make such an impact in artistic forms uh, uh, throughout the world. Right. And so that just kind of, that's how that touches me when I think about how she played that out. I love it. So, listeners, again, forgive my voice today. I'm uh, fighting through this laryngitis, horse, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to move into our civil rights, civil wrong. And today's civil wrong is um, actually unrelated to the topic. And I know we don't, we don't go there often, but there was something that I wanted to talk about today. When I heard it for the first time, I felt um, conflicted emotions. So I'm going to read a piece and then I'm going to let you hear the, the snippet. This happened this past Friday and listeners were talking in early January for your benefit. A chief meteorologist for New York TV station has been fired after he was accused of making racial slur on air while referencing Martin Luther King Jr., which he insists was not intentional. Jeremy Capel was delivering a forecast on Friday for WHEC-TV in Rochester, where he referenced a local park named after the civil rights leader. But instead of Martin Luther King Jr. Park, he called it Martin Luther Coon King Jr. Park. Capel an apology on Monday, said he didn't realize what he had said, and then it was a slip of the tongue produced from speaking, you already laughing, <laughs> produced from speaking too quickly. A video of his gaffe was later circulated on social media, drawing condemnation from viewers. Unfortunately, I spoke too fast while I was referencing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So fast to the point that I jumbled a couple of words. He Fuck said, out of here. <laughs> he said, he said <laughs> <laughs> that was not a word that I said. I promise you that. Say, so he sounds like Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you did feel that I hurt you in any way, I sincerely apologize. I if would never. You did right, feel if that you felt I, I hurt, you. hurt you in any way, I sincerely apologize. I would never want to tarnish the reputation of such a great man as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
one of the greatest civic leaders of all time. So before we start really talking about it, <laughs> I'm going to let you all in the studio and the listeners hit this clip. Wahid, can we play that, brother? Either clouds that filter that sun from time to time, but overall it was great. This is the way it looked out at Martin Luther King Jr. Park. Either clouds that filter that sun from time to time, but overall it was great. This is the way it looked out at Martin Luther King Jr. Park. So now that you've heard it, you heard how he did it. Martin Luther Coon King Jr. How do you, Joe, what do you think? How do you, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the, the, the C and the K. And it's like Coon and King are totally different. And we see this kind of scenario play out all the time. Mm, you know, mm. it's like you're given a platform and your unconscious way of thinking slips out. And then the tears come. And it's kind of right. like the tears are like, you know, this catalyst of like, I'm sorry. You know, right. it's just like. Something was on your mind or you all, it was premeditated by you reading your notes before you actually saying it that you know it said Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. So something, that the subconscious was just like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? He probably thought it as he read those notes. Shit. <laughs> You're like, you really struggling with it. Fuck out of here. That's, that's <laughs> them the three letters. That, that is some bullshit. Subconsciously, I completely agree. That's exactly what he was thinking. That's what he wanted to reflect and what he wanted to portray. And he said exactly how he felt. And then now you come back with this apology, right? Like, I, I truly didn't realize that, oh, I, I, oh, I his said apology, that. Oh, in his apology, he I had his wife so sitting many. right next to him, just yeah, sitting there smiling. The wife was set up. No, I would say this. Do not ever accept an apology where they're apologizing on the way something made you feel. Right. That is not an that apology not an of apology. anything that they means, did. Hey, fuck y'all. I really felt like that. And hey, I, I'm sorry that you felt like that because I actually enabled... I'm not sorry I did it. I'm sorry you felt it. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I'm not... I mean, and he's... he's the, And the only reason he's probably apologizing is because his ass got some heat. Oh, absolutely. So we should continue to, to drive some heat on this motherfucker about him being an absolute closed-door racist, right? He, he don't want to lose his job. He just let it out, yeah. right. So it. we need to put pressure on that news station to relieve him of his responsibilities currently. Mm-hmm. That's that's my personal mm-hmm. perspective. Like, you can't... One thing I think we cannot do is we can't allow people to disrespect civically. Our, our leaders, our black African-American leaders that are no longer here, that paved the way for so many things that we've been able to accomplish because of... And I think we need to defend their honor. And for him, yeah, he needs to lose his job. He needs to go home and he needs to not have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And then figure out, man, I really need to rethink why the fuck I'm so racist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My personal perspective. It slips out. Yeah. The unconscious slips out and it's always um, backed by tears. But it's like you, this happens all the time within the dance world. Sometimes it's like it slips out and like you're, you're showing me how racist you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. It does. Well, I mean, since you mentioned that, let's let's just start talking about the dance world a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So, like you, you just alluded to it, always slipping out. So, um, let's start with this question: What's black about the dance industry, and what's not black enough about the dance industry? Ooh. Oh man, what's black about the dance industry? You know, the thing I like about my culture is that if Somebody is performing on stage and there's like hitting the step. There's like this guff feeling that starts from like your, from your crawl. And it, and it, it, it stirs up and it allows you to scream and say, work, bitch, go. And so that. That's not what I expected. No, but that happens a lot within the black dance culture. Like if somebody is hitting it, it 
it feels like you're in church. And so you're like, yes, work, work. And so that, it, you so while you're it. on stage, not necessarily you need to have that, but it feels like reassuring that, you know, people are with you. So that's, I mean, that's one thing I can say that's like really black. Love um, it. Um, what's not so black? Ooh. Um, it's like where to start. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they're trying to, shift this conversation and they're trying to do things for it. But within the university system, and this is not all universities, um, primarily dance schools, they, it would be nice to keep integrating diverse concepts. Gotcha. Because I think that's important. Um, it's important not only to learn about our white counterparts who are dance pioneers, but there's also some black dance pioneers that are very important. And it's not something that we can just read like three lines on. Like right. it should be like, no, you're going to learn about Alvin Ailey for a whole semester. Right. And out of Alvin Ailey comes these little subtitles of this person and that person. I think the conversation is slowly shifting and there are some schools doing that, but I think it needs to be more of it. So that's what I would probably categorize as not so black. Gotcha. Mm. So, so kind of rewinding it just a little bit. Why dance? Like, how did you get into it? Why did you get into it? What what kind of got it kicked off for you? How how did it get started? Mm -hmm. No, that's a good question. Um, you know, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad just played funk, music, records, all kind of stuff. And so there was like this natural way of just kind of moving my body. Right. And it felt good. And it wasn't until I started watching the show Fame. There was a character on the show. He was played by Gene Anthony Ray. His name was Leroy. Leroy. And my mom I, used to love Leroy. Listen, I thought I was Leroy. I had no idea what the show was about. I just saw this black man with these little bitty shorts on, and he had these tights and, like, leg warmers. So I would literally take my socks, and I would cut them up and make leg warmers sit in front of the TV and act like I was on the show moving. And I, I had no idea what, what the show was about, but that... <laughs> alone kind of jump-started this idea of, like, I love to move my body. I love to express it. Right. And so as I got older, um, I was always shy. And so I, I was shy. And when I got into high school, it wasn't until my theater teacher, Freddie Hendricks, actually took me to the side. And he said, I know you like to move, but you're really scared. And I was like, no, 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 it's, no, it's cool. And he actually forced me to move. In front of everybody. And it was like this shock. But at the same time, there was like this awakening, like, oh, this feels really good. And I felt like I was able to like be myself. And again, there was a black man pushing me out saying, you can do this. Uh, so fast forward a little bit later, I started to take it really seriously. And the reason why I was taking it seriously, because I had a woman come up to me and she came up to me after a show and she told me, thank you. And she started to cry. And I was like, I don't know why she's crying. She's holding my hand. But whatever that feeling was, it touched her. And so that's when I started to understand, like, dance is ministry. And this, this thing is real. And I felt like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to inspire people. I wanted to make people feel. So from high school, I figured, like, you know, I want to take this thing seriously. So I started to, I got into school. I went to North Carolina School of Arts. And I felt like that was, like, where everything started to like form and like me learning about contemporary dance, about like, you know, the ballet world and the rest is history from there. That's like a brief little overview, but that's probably the reason why I got into dance because I felt like it was a source of healing and coming from 
a place of being very shy and not really trusting my own voice, it was the one thing that actually got me, that kind of got me out of my way and, yeah. and, and let me into the world. Hey, that's, that's, that's nice, man, because that, you know that it allowed you to express now? yourself. Mm-hmm. The dance instructor, do you know where he is now? Well, Freddie Hendricks is still alive. Like, um, he wasn't the dance instructor. He was a theater instructor. Gotcha. So Freddie Hendricks uh, has a um, company here in Atlanta. Well, he's not over it anymore, but it was called the Youth Ensemble of Atlanta. And now it's mm-hmm. called, um, well, it's still called the Youth Ensemble of Atlanta. It was called the Freddie Hendricks Youth Ensemble of Atlanta. And he was responsible not just for me, but for like so many people. Like, he just has this way of just pushing people and pushing like the kids to kind of be the best that they can be. Mm. Just makes me think. Um, yeah. That's, that's dope. If you, listeners, if you heard our interview with Duelle, he made a comment about the responsibility of those who grow up in black neighborhoods in order to help our children find their way to their dreams. Sometimes you have to go back and build a window for them to see out of. And hearing that story just makes me think about how impactful that that act really can be. So, fellas, ladies, listeners, if you're in a position to go back and push a child toward their dreams or mentor them, please take advantage of it. I mean, you're hearing firsthand right now how that impact of one person can really have an impact on your life. It can change your direction and alter where you end up. So... Right. That's that's a that's a good that's a good important point because as we said, we we definitely like to inspire. Um you've been in the industry for a while. Mm-hmm. Like you 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 have a, a good breadth of of experience and exposure to different people, mm-hmm. right? And and how things work and yeah. how they don't work. From a uh from a race perspective, how do you see racism in your world in mm-hmm. in, in that space? Ooh. Um, okay, so I'll give you an example. Um, I've, I've taught at different schools. I won't name the school. Um, there was one particular school where there was a young woman. She came up to me and when you take ballet, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain aesthetic that you have to have your hair for the women. You have to pull it back and put it in like a, like a bun. Mm-hmm. And it was an African-American girl came up to me. And she was like, this particular teacher um, said that my hair wasn't ballet ready. And I was like, what do you mean by your hair not being ready? She said, well, I need to pull my hair back. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, her hair is pulled back. And I was like, oh, okay. So this teacher don't know how black girls hair. Okay, I get it. So there was a meeting with all the teachers. And it was a moment where I just kind of brought it up. And as soon as I brought it up, the tears began to fall. So somebody already, so they already knew, like, I, I had no idea. And so I, I think, again, that subconscious is like how you say it and how it resonates to a black girl. It, 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 it means a lot because she's there to get the ample training. And when you say you, you don't, you're not ready or your hair is not ballet ready, that, that's really hurting. And so... I had to explain to her to have a teaching moment in front of all the other teachers because I wanted them to hear directly out of my mouth saying, you know, that's not cool. And I was like, the texture of our hair is completely different. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's back. It's not in her way. She has a fro. It's back. Let's hit these steps. You know, so that was a teaching moment for me. But again, 
I always experience it. It comes out of like this unconsciousness. And another moment too, um, I think I was telling you this over the phone where I was teaching an audition and it was with other choreographers. And this particular choreographer came up to me and I just taught a phrase, just a random one, two, three, hit it, boom, boom, boom. Didn't think nothing about it. He comes up to me and said, oh man, you know, I really see like the black lives matter. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. I was like, okay, um, that's good you saw that, but I just taught a, a four count step. And for me, that, inf- that informed me like, oh, okay, you're, I felt that he was curious and he felt like he wanted to be part of the cause, but it was almost like you're forcing me to pull you out or like or, or express your racism a little bit more. And I was like, I'm just teaching a, a phrase and the piece isn't, it's, it's not even about that. And so that happens a lot where it could just be like, oh man, you know what? That was a really cool step. And it's like you're 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 trying to dig for something that doesn't even exist. They just took it too far. I see all your passion and, and your it's pain like, from being black. And although right. Black that, Lives Matter. That audition happened around the same time, like, you know, with Mike Brown and everything. I felt like that was his way of trying to right. express it, but it just came out wrong. And right. it's like sometimes like my like me being on this campus, me being a black male of, you know, teaching, my presence is already known. Right. So I'm going to teach yeah. my experiences. So my black life, my black life matter when I'm step my foot in this room. So one question on that, you already talked about taking advantage of the teachable moments. Yeah. So in a situation like that where y- you think he was trying just really to be a part of what was happening, how do you respond to that? How, how, do, you, how do you help him not hurt him and teach him at the same time? That's a good point because like, the conversation could have went totally left, right. but it was a moment for me to kind of dig deep to say, okay, so what did you see? How did you come to that idea that was Black Lives Matter? And you can kind of see like it, it, he starts to ramble and, and, this, and slowly the conversation shifts to like something else. Because I felt like he, he was trying to, again, he was trying to be for the cause, but it just came out wrong. But right. in that moment, it's, it's my responsibility to let him know like, no, this isn't about Black Lives Matter. That's just a kickball change. Gotcha. That has nothing to do with it, <laughs> but no, it, but it's, it's real yeah. and like, and that doesn't happen everywhere. But there are like, I I come across those kind of moments that that it's the unconscious moment where, right. yeah, like either you're doing too much or you're doing nothing. And I would I would prefer to, for you just to be genuine, right? And it goes back to my whole statement that you gotta have curriculum where we introduce diverse concepts right. and and spaces where teachers are informed whether. Dancers feel comfortable where the dancers feel like, oh, I can learn something about myself too. But at the same point, the teachers can kind of have a teaching tool of how to address people of color. Right? Yeah. The good thing about that, that scenario, right, is two parts. One is you see the ignorance, yeah. right? You, you can see it and then you can see the desire to not be ignorant, but it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, it's it's an awkward. I don't want to be ignorant, but I'm actually kind of ignorant. But I want to be for the cause. Yep. But I really don't know how to be for the cause. Right, and then you also see the other side of it, where you, being an African American, have to kind of be the voice of African Americans to educate the people who are ignorant. Mm-hmm. And that's the dynamic is you're doing it through dance, mm-hmm. right? And you're doing it through through choreography, which is which I think is pretty is pretty cool. Because I think everybody has a responsibility to do that. It's how we do it. And then what avenues can we actually do it effectively in? Yeah. It's funny you say that. One thing that I am both grateful for 
and extremely tired of at the same time is in that situation, like like Art, you said he became the voice of African-Americans. He had to make a choice. You had to give up your privilege to be angry, right? Because you, you had a right to be angry. And in that right, you should have been able to react and say, get the fuck out of here. I don't feel like dealing with you. Like, mm-hmm. that's right. a reaction that so many of us really have. Yep. Um, but often we can't afford to react that way, even though we're entitled to react that way. Because the moment we do that, all the perceptions become true. And that one person who may have had an actual interest in being on the positive side of our cause hasn't changed mentally, but now they're even more scared to speak out. And like, again, it's something that I'm tired of us being in that situation, but I'm very grateful that we're in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, it just it feels unfair at the end of the day because we always have to teach. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just want to react. I'm shut up. Yeah, we should, we should have that, <clears throat> that right. And unfortunately, we don't. Right. Yeah. Or, or the Because the repercussions are bigger. Be, yeah, for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know what? Let me, I want to go back to something that you mentioned because I think it's important. So, the thing about hair, um, there is, I would assume, a certain look or a certain body structure or a certain shape as it relates to, to like ballet or um, when you get into the dance industry as, as a whole. How does, that, how does that play out from a race standpoint, right? Because we are generally... Black women are structured a little different. Black men are structured a little different in, in a lot of instances. I'm not going to say that like, as a blanket statement, but how does that really play out in, in the industry, right? Shape and... Well, the ideal body is always a topic of conversation. Um, it, just, it just so happens now within the 21st century where we, where we are now is that it's less about the ideal body and more about the talent and more about can you dance and now, like, you know, you have your ballet companies who have a certain aesthetic. Then you have your contemporary companies. Then you have other companies. Like, every company has an array of different bodies. And for me, it's all about who, who is doing the work, uh, who is comfortable in the work. Um, particularly in the ballet world, you have somebody like um, Misty Copeland. You know, she's the first African-American principal dancer with American Ballet Theater. Now, mm-hmm. her body is, like, muscular. Muscular is so is so different from what the standard ballet body should be, but she's bad as hell. You know what I'm saying? She's yeah. dope, and she, and she's been put in work, she, and she started dancing really late too. And typically, mm. ballet dancers start a little bit early. So she started when she was like 16. Yeah, I saw and an so, interview that said she started dancing, and four years later, she signed with them. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and and, and so like yeah. you know, and like still got a shot. She joined this company, and she. She necessarily didn't have a principal role. And so having that, that's like a huge milestone because it kind of defeats and, and it defied the odds that, wow, this black girl who has a body look like mine is actually doing it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have other choreographers like um, Camille A. Brown, which I am privileged to dance with her. I remember some of her, some of her experiences when we were in college. And, you know, sometimes she wasn't necessarily casted for certain things. And I was like, she can dance like rings around like a lot of these people. And I was so confused. I was like, I don't understand it. But sometimes the ideal body image is not what sometimes society wants. But there was nothing wrong with her body. Mm. Nothing wrong with her body. 
And what that and what that tells you is that society and the quote unquote dance elitist is like, well, this is what the perfect perfect body should look like. There is no perfect body. Right. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I've I've had people say, oh, your feet look like you know Daffy Duck, or like you're really thin and blah blah blah. Again, the ideal body image is for me is purely based off talent. Can you do the work? But that conversation does happen, and it's and it's still like a a ongoing conversation that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So I got a follow up question to that. You talked about Camille not getting roles, mm-hmm. right? And I can only imagine that as you see that that happening around you, even though no one's saying directly you don't belong, the message you get is that you don't belong. So this is this is more for people listening, and whether it's in dance or in social media or in tennis or in any industry in which we haven't really hit where we should, right? Mm -hmm. Where we're trying to break through. What type of advice do you have for someone when they're in a situation and they're constantly being told, whether directly or indirectly, that you don't belong? How do you maintain your dream? How do you keep going after it when you're not being positively reinforced while you're there? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, especially if you're stuck in a position where this is all that you you know and you keep getting no, one of the things is to be strategic and say, well, you know what? You're telling me no, but I'm going to work on something else. And again, I got to use Camille because I've, I've seen it hands-on. She took that as an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to go in the studio. Right. I'm going to work on my choreography. Every time she showed her compositions at school, it was like people were like floored. And from that, she's risen and she's like, She's like, she's one of like uh, the most gifted voices of our time right now. And it's like to see her trajectory, had she said, you know what, I'm going to quit. Because it's it's easy to say, you know what, I don't have the right body, whatever. That's what they're telling me. Right. I can quit. But to see her trajectory and see where she's, you know, she's choreographing for Once on this Island. It's just closed. She's choreographing for Choir Boy that opens tonight. She choreographed for Jesus Christ Superstar. So all these beautiful things have happened because. She didn't quit. She didn't quit. And she said, I'm just going to work on my craft. And I see a lot of my peers and people I know who quit because they feel like I don't have this body type. And I'm never going to make it. And that's the, that's, the, that's the fucked up part where sometimes people in power do. Because I think sometimes people in power, they, they pour their own bitterness and their own ways onto students. So if they didn't have a career, they feel like, well, I'm going to do this to them. Right. Which is which is not mm-hmm. cool. Wow. So my advice to answer that, I, didn't, I think I didn't answer it, <laughs> is to just is try to find a strategic way or try to find your plan B, even though you can't get the plan A. Gotcha. I love, it's I love it's hard. Stra- I love the strategic thought. Yeah. My daughter does uh, ballet and hip hop dance, and she's five, <laughs> and she 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 thinks it's kind of dope. She likes it. And it's, it's cool for kids, I think, when they kind of get into it because it, it does allow them to express themselves a little yeah. bit. What do you, since you've been in the industry for so long, like what do you see? And I don't, I don't know if you've saw little kids kind of growing up in, in dance. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you see? Um, what is like the traits that kids display that says, "Yeah, this is this little one will be a great dancer." Uh, I think there's a light, like they have like this this aura around them. And it's like, even if they look completely crazy, <laughs> you, you, you can kind of see like, they're going to be amazing because they, 
stand out. They're hardworking. They're constantly like in class. And even at a young age, you can just kind of tell like if somebody really wants to really do this. Um, sometimes little ones do it because their parents want them to do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes their parents are living through them. Right. And um, <laughs> you can always tell as they matriculate and get older, you can always tell if they want to pursue it. Because again, mm-hmm. that, that light never leaves and it's still around them. That takes me all the way back to the dope quote. It's not about that perfection, but that indelible moment that that person remembers or how you made them feel. So yeah. even as a, a child without perfect form, you you see that longing, that belonging inside of them. Yeah. Because for me, like, I mean, I started really late too, and but I just knew that there was something higher that I wanted to achieve. Like, I knew, I was like, I'm going to have a career in dance. I don't know what, but we're going to make this thing happen. <laughs> So we we talked a little bit about like school and my daughter's been in ballet and not tap, but jazz and hip hop and various mm-hmm. elements of dance for several years now. What does industry penetration for people of color look like? Not just on the stage, but behind the stage in management and choreography and in all in all aspects and of the industry. How are how are we penetrated there? Shut up. I think we're everywhere. Honestly, um, whether you're behind the scenes or you're owning your own studio or you're a freelance artist, um, we're there. We've we've always been there. Right. That's the problem. Um, I think sometimes we don't necessarily have access to the particular funds. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not privy to rehearsal spaces. Or we're not privy to like um, grants and things of that nature. Although there are organizations and and people of color uh, that are creating those spaces for us, but I would say that would be the only setback sometimes, just having access. Gotcha. Now I'm curious. I went into financial mode. What does the money look like in this industry, like the, the yeah. like if, if someone, if that, that light did show up and you saw it, it was like, hmm, what, what does it look like from a future, you know, building a career in that space? You like earning potential kind yeah. of thing? Or are you thinking investment in? Earnings both? potential. Well, I, well, money is always sensitive. And like, you know, um, I would just say from my opinion, the money is somewhat solid. Okay. And then somewhat not always solid. <laughs> gotcha. I gotta be honest. He's like an artist. Yes. And so, okay. Yeah. So you're an artist. So like, you know, especially for somebody like myself, I'm my own entrepreneur. So I have to make sure that there is money circulating around. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, if you're fortunate to be in particular dance companies, there is some good money there. You know, but that, but every company is different. So uh. if, if I had like a whole bag of different company members if everybody was to go around and tell up tell the tell you like how much they make you'd be like oh, okay 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 you all are so good it just depends on funding it goes back to assets and 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 um and working with a company that has good financial support um as a freelance artist always making sure that you are staying on top of your game just because you get one reward or one gig doesn't mean like i'm i'm here i'm here it's, it's like you know you got to keep Keep that, keep those wheels going. This life that we live is is, is high, it's low. 
It's in between. It's dry. Um, it's fake. You know, you know, it just depends. Yeah. Gotcha. Sounds like the world of an artist. <laughs> yep. Because you mentioned safe spaces earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, how important are they in dance? And are organizations like Alvin Ailey considered safe spaces for us? I think they're very important. Um, if I go back to like, you know, my teacher, Freddie Hendricks, when I went to, okay, so when I was in high school, I went to Tri-Cities High School. It's, it's a school based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And not only was I working with Freddie Hendricks, but I was working with the dance teacher, Dawn Atsum. And so they they made it safe for us to be ourselves. So right. most most artists are kind of weird. And so, you know, they created that space where we can just be weird, but we also can get an education and we can also learn. And and I think it's it's important to have visibility in these safe spaces because it does help. It helps it helps somebody like me. Um it, it was refreshing to go to school with people that actually like to do what I do. And it wasn't looked at as like, oh, okay, you sure can dance. So what else you gonna do? <laughs> and and that, that question, like that question happens a lot. Even the most professional dancers, they're like, so you're a dancer. Okay, that's that's dope. What else you do? <laughs> so sometimes dance is on a is on like the bottom of like, you know, the totem pole. So right. so being in a space where dance, theater, art, music, you know, was all in one, it just felt like it made you feel good. And that's why I think it's important within like university systems, schools, what have you, you have to have somebody of color just just to kind of balance things off. Right. You know, because if, if I'm coming to be a guest artist at a school, naturally the students of color are going to come up to me and ask me questions. Right. Sometimes I can't like answer all of them or I can't really commit my time to them because I'm, I may be there just, just, just for a week. Right. And so it's, I think it's important to have those and, and, it's, and you want to have those conversations where they feel like I can ask you anything and I don't have to lie to them. You know, oh, okay, I'm, I'm having a bad day or this happened to me. You know, and sometimes, you know, they may have stuff that happened to them and it, it may be like the dumbest stuff, but it's a space and a time where they can just get it off their chest. Because gotcha. it's important for people, like somebody like me, I would rather a student ask me a dumb question because that space is safe where you can ask that question. Right. Now they're encouraged to keep Yeah. Asking. And it's like, it's, it's fine, you know, because instead of me saying, oh, you don't know because you're young, they don't know. So it's, so it's my responsibility to teach that person that. Gotcha. So as you're talking about teaching in schools, um, how is the funnel system for professional ballet dancers? And what I mean by that is, Again, my daughter's been to dance for years. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean this in a negative way. Yep. But I've never been impressed <laughs> with what I see, not not specifically in my daughter, but I've never been impressed with what I see coming out of those schools that she's been a part of. Ooh. And I don't know if that's a, a reflection of, I just don't know what great dance should look like, or I don't know what great dance should look like from a fifth grader or a 10th grader. Because when I sit in the audience mm-hmm. at her recitals. I'm happy and I'm clapping because she's up there mm-hmm. and I can see her progression because I've been there the whole time. But when I see the majority of the dancers, even like the older dancers where I expect to see something really good, that light that you mentioned. Yeah. Most of the time, it's it's very, very rare that I see someone like, damn, she was, or he was really good. Uh-huh. So are there a plethora of good schools out there or are my expectations just based on what I've seen 
on something you think you can dance too often? Well, no. I mean, I, I think um, whether it comes from like a ballet training, there's competition schools. Like if you take the competition schools from like um, Abby Lee. Right. Um, she has her own show. That's like more competition. You have like the ballet schools and you have it's some the contemporary. Dance divas. So, yeah, yeah, like, uh, what is it? The Dancing Doll Divas? Yeah, I So, I mean, there's, there's different facets of it. And like, so dance is so multifaceted. And and yeah, I think I think your expectations are, are they should be high. Right. But at the same token, they're, they're, they're young too. Right. They're young, but again, it goes back into the teachers teaching them. You know, I don't expect for like a young student to be like rock, sock, and dope. But like I said before, there should be like some kind of like, like, okay, wow, they're really growing. Right. But it goes back to the instructors and um, what they are implementing. Gotcha. And they're not lazy teachers. Yeah. And it requires practice too, though, right? Yeah. Especially if the teachers are teaching. So I know my daughter goes twice a week or something yeah. like that, right? And it, of course, like if you're practicing every single day for like a couple hours, right. then yeah, you should, you should, I would anticipate you would see some some dramatic improvement, right? <laughs> but you know, most kids, they're doing it for fun. They're doing it for fun. Doing, like, as yeah. long as they're happy and they're having a good time. And that's what right. I'm saying. As they get older and they say, yeah. hey, daddy, I, I think I want to um, go to here. I want to go to New York and California for a right. summer session. You're like, oh, this is different. Then, real. then, then that'll probably like spark some of you. Like, okay, well, let me research. And then when you see her perform at an intensive, you're like, oh, this is different because that's another level of exposure. But right. that's if that light wants to continue to shine. Right. And, and and as parent, you have to support your. Oh, absolutely. Course. She loves it. Yeah. She's getting better. I mean, she she's actually gotten pretty good. It's just when I. Like, none of the schools she's been a part of have I been like, oh, that was dope. <laughs> you, that, you that super... He got some high standards. bar <laughs> dad and shit, yeah. Me too, though. I, 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 it, I'm looking at you because I'm like, I'm at the reciters, I'm doing the same thing. And then you realize, well, shit, they are four and three and two. I'm thinking about the ones that were 16. Like, yeah. the ones who... <laughs> but I think we're all like that. Like, I do the same thing. If I go places, I'm like, ooh, ooh. Mm. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm low-key judging. <laughs> but, but, but at the same time, I'm, I'm like, they're, they're young. They're having a good time. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. So I, I went to, um, and I won't say the name, but I went to a company here uh, and saw the Nutcracker. Like, they, it was, they were selling tickets and, like, everything. And I was excited. I was like, this is going to be good. And, like, it wasn't good. Like, there were, like, there were, there were two women and one man, and I was oh, these, these one are man. adults. Yeah, well, the, it was it was. I think the youngest might have been like thirteen, up to like maybe lower twenties. I'm, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, that's that's. Mm-hmm. And like there were three people, one man and two women, and they were really good. They carried the show for me, but everyone else, I was like, did did, did he just fill in? Could I've been up there? <laughs> like there were a couple. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could have. I could that. do that. Right? Yeah. I could have done that. <laughs> That, I mean, that's how I felt. But, uh, and and again, that's cool. that's your opinion. I think op- yeah. op- opinions matter sometimes, you know. Well, well, I was looking around, people were opinion. clapping. And I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not like impressed. Like, standing ovation. No, <laughs> I'm not I'm impressed. Again. I'm not clapping right now. <laughs> if it weren't for them three, they would get nothing. <laughs> I know we're kind of, we're getting close to that time. So, I got a, a couple final questions. Sure. Um, 
as you think about your experience and you think about the performances and you think about the things that, that you've been exposed to um, over your career and over your uh, lifetime, what performance has l- left probably the, the, the most lasting impact on you and why? Mm. Wow. That's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, it could be multiple. <laughs> Well, the first one, um, I got the opportunity to choreograph on Atlanta Ballet. This was back in 2012. And so, first of all, I was just really fortunate to have that exposure. But I think what was truth-telling is that when I was growing up, I never really saw Atlanta Ballet. And they've always existed here in, in Atlanta. And I guess, I don't know, I guess I didn't have that visibility and I wasn't like encouraged so much to go see them because I guess we were so much in our performance mode in high school but just having that opportunity to walk on the stage and take my bow really meant something to me and then when they told me that I was like the first local black independent choreographer to ever choreograph on them like they told me that and I was like oh shoot okay now, there have been other black choreographers who have been there from out of town, right. but having somebody locally, that meant a lot to me. Right. And mm-hmm. I told myself, I was like, if I don't, if I don't ever have a chance anymore to choreograph, like this means a lot because I'm here in my hometown mm-hmm. at, a, at a space where I didn't even think I belong. Mm. And that's just real, you know? And again, I think they're opening up that conversation a little bit more as far as diverse concepts. But growing up, it just wasn't, it wasn't a thing to do, to go mm-hmm. see Atlanta Ballet. So that meant a lot for me. That's what's up. Excelling in a spot where you don't even necessarily believe you belong is a really strong thing. Like, I love the confidence that that has to build inside of you when you realize how well you did and you didn't even know you were supposed to be there. Yeah. After the fact. Right. After the fact. Yeah. Right. And I'm choreographing on them. So I mean, was you, like, you, wow. did all, you did all that. You did such a good job with that feeling someplace in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. It just, I mean, it shows your ability to kind of push through. Yeah. So check it out. <laughs> Last question. What's next for you? What's next? Um, well, I currently I have a film out called The Maestro. And um, I just released that in December. And that is, what it is, is there's a painter. His name is Ernie Barnes. He, um, people know him from Good Times. He was the painter responsible for J.J. Walker's painting. Mm. And so he's also the painter that's responsible for Marvin Gaye on like, you know, some of his album covers, the Crusaders. And the way that he paints, he paints in in a language that the paintings look just like you. And most of the people in his paintings, they have their eyes closed. And the reason why they have their eyes closed is because he wants us to be blind to one another humanity. And there was this one particular painting called The Maestro where this figure is turned around looking at this jukebox and he has a wand in his hand. And I remember seeing it as I was growing up and I always felt like, wow, that looks just like me. Mm. And I, I would always envision like, what, what is he thinking? Like what got him to the point of like just being so confident in front of this radio? Um, and so I decided to create this whole dance on film, this whole mini narrative around that and it was released on Afropunk on December 17th. And so for me, I'm, I'm going to dedicate this year 
as having that as my platform and just to continue those conversations um, around that because a lot of that incorporates this uh, this Afrofuturistic idea um, with imagination, with technology. And so, and I really want to talk about that more this whole year. So that's what's next for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I, I want to ask you another quick question. Yeah. It's, and I, I, te- I, I tend to always do this, so sure. forgive us. But this is something that I was thinking about, and I was really confused. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't understand how this happens. When we feel an emotion, I understand how that translates into words, right? If I'm sad, maybe I write a sad song. If I'm in love, I go and I write a song about being in love and about how beautiful she is. Um, but what I don't understand is how do you take that inspiration and that feeling and turn it into a movement? How does mm-hmm. that happen? And I think that's a good question. Um, it's the same way, like like how I was talking about, you know, Ernie Barnes, just the way that he paints. Right. You know, it's, 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 there's a feeling like, you know, how I'm talking with you all now, how I'm using my hands and being very expressive. Right. Um, movements are always recycled over and over. And for me, it's about engaging with the heart. Right. Like, I can do like this all day long, but it, if I want to change the dynamic of the movement, I have to really center in and, and, and really figure out what does that feel like? Or, or, or why am I doing my hand like this? Mm-hmm. So it won't become presentation, but it becomes very, this is like me actually telling you to sit down. So I have to believe that my body is doing that. Mm. Which is always fascinating for people, but that's the only way that I know how to choreograph. Gotcha. Like, like I can't choreograph about a flower and a rock and the sky is blue. Um, if it's something that I haven't been through or if I haven't experienced it, it's going to be hard for me to like express that. Gotcha. But all of that, that engagement starts from your core and it starts from your heart. And so my heart um, informs what my body should do. Do you know you're there? Like, do you, f- do you find yourself satisfied? And I get some context. Like on any given night, I know I'm going to eat something, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some days you just have this feeling like I, tonight I've got to have steak or tonight I've got to have fish. Yeah. And if, if, if it's a night where you have to have fish and for whatever reason you have a hamburger, you may feel less hungry, but you won't feel satisfied. So do you run into a feeling like that? Like, do you know you've got the right movement or the right interpretation? Do you feel satisfied when you find, like, how do you know when you're there? I think for me, I always say this idea of like seasonings, like if I'm using paprika, tarragon, mm-hmm. lemon pepper, you, you can have the most complicated movement. And um, I don't know, I, I think in the space is about being super vulnerable. And if it, and if it feels right, again, it, it clicks. And, and there's a feeling that says, okay, this is right. This is correct. Or if I'm working with a soloist, Right. And she's connecting or he or she is like, you know, connecting and they're allowing themselves to be extremely vulnerable, extremely naked in the space and not really caring who's around. And I'm getting chills. Right. That's when I know like the meal is complete. Got it. And even though the meal is complete, what happens as dance is that we're we're so presentational. We have to perform. And so we practice this art of repetition. So that the audience come and sit down, we perform. So every time that an artist comes on stage and they perform that meal, 
the audience is going to get something, but the, the artist itself is going to feel something different. They're going to be different. So they can get to those steps, but it's the process of getting to those steps is going to feel different every night. Gotcha. Makes sense. <laughs> That's what's up. Uh, like like Art That's said, we're the, artistry right there, <laughs> isn't it? I, we're at the end, and I do want you to take, and we always hand it over to the guests to uh, just kind of talk to the people. But I, I wanna I wanna do like a two step with you. Um, I want you to definitely tell the people whatever is on your heart to tell them, and tell them how to contact you and how to find you. But I'd also love if you take just a few moments before that and just kind of talk about your work because. You talked about the maestro, mm -hmm. but I told you starting, it's like, I'm a, I'm a fan of dance, right? Um, I don't necessarily understand what I see, but I do understand what it makes me feel. And what I've seen from you, like, touches all over the place, like from the, the painting and the art that inspires you to what you see come through in everyday life. I love it if you just take a few moments and talk to the people about a few of your pieces and what they mean to you, what they should expect from them. And I'll be very specific. You don't have to talk about this one, but like just another day. I think I've mentioned it to you now multiple <laughs> yeah. times. Like I fell in love with that piece when I watched it because there was just something about the way you pulled the beauty out of what we do with everyday mundane behavior that we probably don't even see the beauty in ourselves. Yeah. And I'm going to shut up. Yeah. No, no. Thank you for allowing me to um, express this. Um, <laughs> Well, we'll start with Just Another Day. Um, that was my first dance on film piece that I ever directed. And, um, and it was a collaborative with my good friends in North Carolina. Um, that piece to me was just about, again, when people say they, they don't know how to dance. So they was like, I don't know how to have like, you know, no rhythm. I don't know nothing about that. And it was a way of me just kind of putting my own people watching right. into perspective and how we brush our teeth, how we get out of bed, how we walk to the store. I always find like there's beauty in that and there's always, like you're, you're always choreographing. You right. know, just how he's on like, you know, the computer right now, that's part of choreography. Like right. that's what we do. We get up, we make a coffee. So if, if you took away the coffee and the elements, that becomes like a whole step. Hmm. And it's like, that's like your natural rhythm that you do all the time. And so that's, dope. that's why I named Just Another Day. Um, so the other piece is called Touch and Agree. And that's actually touring with the second company of Avalon, a American Dance Theater. That piece probably is the most vulnerable piece I've ever done because that's the um, piece where I was able to just kind of talk about um, myself. And also it was centered around LGBTQ right. people. And I wanted to just be very direct and talk about my experiences being in love and right. trying to figure out love and people who are um, gay or trans, um, right. it, 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 it gave them the platform where people can kind of see themselves. And I felt like that was important for me to do because I wanted to, again, if I choreograph, it has to come from a real experiences. My other piece is called How to Kill a Ghost. It's a, a dance on film piece, but it's also an actual piece that's um, being performed right now by Dallas Black Dance Theater. And that piece honestly was just about this breakup. I was dating this person for about six months. That six months in my world felt like four years. It was like doing too much. It was doing too much. And after the uh, six months was over, um, you know, we went our separate ways, but I felt a need to kind of hold on tight, looking right. at, you know, the Instagrams. And I was like, we're, we're kind of done. Like, why am I holding on? So for me, it felt like this ghost was harboring. And I was like, I don't know how to kill this ghost. 
And it's like, <laughs> we are good. We're good. But I, I, I was harvesting feelings. So, gotcha. so yeah. So, um, yeah, man, like just, that's just, that's, that's the nature and how I like to work. And I am one of those choreographers where I just like to take the ugly movements and make something really beautiful. Right. Around them. Um, but it, it has to come from a deeper feeling and a deeper meaning. Um, so yeah, so I mean, if people are interested in following me, following like my movement, you can follow me on IG. You can add me at Jewel D Lane, that's J U E L D L A N E, or you can check out the website JewelDLane.com. In addition to uh, having the Maestro as my platform for the whole year, I'll also be um, continuing touring with Camille Brown and dancers. We're going to be touring. Uh, up until about April. So, cool. yeah, so all that stuff will be on my IG and my website as well. So, yeah. Awesome. And listeners, <laughs> all this contact information, webpage, IG, all that info is in your episode description now. So, click out, take a look, and, and find him. All right, brother, you can close this out because you hear what's happening over here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, another great episode. Uh, Thank you so much. Definitely appreciate you coming through. Uh, Wild Black, um, listeners, hopefully you got a lot of great nuggets. We definitely did. Um, confidence, believing in yourself, um, going after it, even when someone tells you no. So many different nuggets that you can pull from this episode, especially when you're thinking about, you know, going after dreams that you you may not necessarily have a, a high level of support for, but you got that light or that fire. Um, go after it anyway. And you never know where it'll take you. Folks, this is another episode of Wild Black and We Out. All right. That's it. Fans. Hey, if somebody tells you you can't do something, fuck them. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up.